I want to welcome you back to day four of our first week of looking through the book of Judges. We're going to be looking primarily at chapter three today. Yesterday, we saw that God had left the unholy nations amongst the people of Israel to test their faith. Unfortunately, they don't pass the test. So listen to what happens beginning in verse seven. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rashiatham, king of Aram Naharayim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So they sell them into the hands of this king who, what a difficult name. These are, you know, I always say to people, when you come across difficult names in the Bible, just read them like you know what they mean. Everybody will expect, well, I guess that's how you pronounce them. And this guy, his name is so long, it took him eight years just to know how to pronounce his name. They're subject to him for eight years. And then they begin to cry out to God, and God delivers them through a judge, the first judge named Othniel. Many people call him the ideal judge because of the kind of faith that he had. Listen to what happens beginning in verse nine. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. This is the one we read about earlier in Judges. Caleb's younger brother who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and he went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rashiatham, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Now, Cushan's name really means Cushan the doubly wicked. So they, they put up with this wickedness for eight years before they began to cry out to God. And then Othniel comes. And the Bible says he came and notice the spirit of the Lord came on him. You're going to see this throughout the book of Judges. And by the way, the rest of the history of Israel through Samuel and Kings, you see the same thing, that the spirit of the Lord gives power to people as they are seeking to enjoy God's promises, to see God's victories in their life. The spirit of the Lord comes upon them so that that power is there. The spirit comes upon certain people from time to time. Now, we don't live in the same kind of time as they did because Jesus has come. The spirit indwells every believer because of what Jesus did on the cross. We not only have forgiveness for the past, we have vastly greater power in our lives, every one of us, to live out God's will. We have the Spirit of the Lord who's come upon every one of us. God's promises in the present in every one of our lives. So God comes and he delivers the people of Israel through Othniel, through the Spirit of the Lord. But that's not the end of the story. They're going to get in this pattern again. And they're going to need another deliverer. So next, God is going to deliver them through a judge by the name of Ehud. And Ehud might be nicknamed the handicapped judge the judge who leads from weakness. Listen to what happens in verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is after Othniel died. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. And the Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. And again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. Now, without reading the entire story here, let me tell you how Ehud defeats Eglon, the king of Moab. He takes a tribute to Eglon. And in promising him a bribe, Eglon tells everybody who's around him, all his guards, to leave the chambers because he doesn't want them to hear that Eglon's going to give him a bribe because they might want part of it. I don't know why. He asks them to leave the chambers. So Ehud, all of a sudden, is alone with the king. And with his left hand, notice it said earlier he was left-handed, he plunges a sword into the king. 
In fact, the favorite verse of all junior high boys is here in verse 21. Ehud reached with his left hand, he drew the sword from his right thigh, and he plunged it into the king's belly, and the fat closed over it. Oh, junior high boys love that one. So here they are, they finally have a victory over their enemy after 18 years. Now notice, they waited 18 years before they cried out to God. Why did they wait 18 years? It's almost without reason. They were trusting in the wrong gods for 18 years. And Ehud becomes the one who delivers them. Now, he's an unlikely judge for two reasons. Number one, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the smallest tribes. Judah led the battles. Benjamin didn't drive out the enemy, but he's going to have victory over Ehud, even though he's from one of the smallest tribes. Even more significantly, he's left-handed. Now, those of you who are left-handed right now are thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? That's not a handicap. What are you talking about? In that day, it was. The Hebrew phrase here is literally, he was impeded in the use of his right hand. For a warrior, being left-handed was a handicap because the right hand was the warrior's strong arm. And if you're left-handed, trying to fight against everybody else's right-handed strong arm, you might be able to defeat one. You're not going to defeat all of them. You're not going to be able to defeat all of them. You needed a strong right arm for defense against other warriors with a strong right arm. He was weak where a warrior needed to be strongest. But did you see what happens here? Ehud sees that his handicap can become his strength, that God can actually use his handicap, the fact that he's left-handed, that the king would never expect a sword to be plunged in from a left hand against an enemy. Now, Eglon dies immediately, and this death shows how vulnerable God's enemies really are. They think they have power, but it's only because God's allowed it for a time. And once God's people cry out and God responds, their power is lost in a moment. Not just for Eglon, but also, as you read down through this chapter, for 10,000 Moabites. In verse 30, that day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. So out of this defeat of their king comes the battle that comes the defeat of all the Moabites. God delivers them. And there's a third judge in this chapter through whom God delivers them. God delivers them through a judge by the name of Shamgar. And Shamgar, you might call the unlikely judge. In verse 31, after Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. He too saved Israel. So obviously a powerful warrior. Why is he an unlikely judge? Well, notice he's the son of Anath. That means he was possibly, most probably a Canaanite. He certainly was from Canaanite influence with that name coming from that line. God uses this unlikely leader. In fact, using unlikely leaders as one of the themes of the book of Judges. He uses a left-handed judge. He uses a man we're going to see later who's hiding in a wine press from the enemies. He uses a woman who was a prophet. He uses a man who struggled to keep his passions in check. And he uses a man here from a Canaanite background. You see, it doesn't so much matter if you're the ideal leader like Othniel or the handicapped weak leader like Ehud or the unlikely never-to-be-expected leader like Shamgar. That's not what matters at all. What matters is where does God want you to lead? doesn't matter what somebody else is saying or thinking about you or what you're saying or thinking about you. There's a great lesson about leadership in these three judges. It doesn't matter. All that matters is where is God asking you to lead in your family, in your company, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your church? Where is God asking you to lead? Lead there. 
no matter what someone else says, no matter what someone else expects, whether they expect you to be the leader and you don't want to do it because it's expected, or they don't expect you to be the leader and you don't want to do it because you think it's not expected. Where's God asking you to lead? Lead there. So as we pray today, let's make that our prayer. In prayer with me, would you just say, Lord, where do you want me to lead? Where do you want me to lead? I know you want me to lead in the closest relationships in my life, in my family, with my friends. Show me how I can be a leader there, a spiritual leader. Where do you want me to lead in my company, in my place of work, in my school, in my church? Where do you want me to lead? If you will show me, I will pray for the faith to lead in that place. And then I will step out on that faith and I will obey you. God, I'm telling you in advance that as you show me where you want me to lead, I will obey you. I will lead in that place. I'm having a hard time praying this prayer. Some of you might need to pray because I'm not sure God will give me the strength. But Lord, even though I'm having a hard time praying it, I pray it one more time. I'm willing to do this because I know you will give me the strength. So show me where you want me to lead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, join us tomorrow. We're going to learn some great lessons about faith and victory from Deborah. Deborah. 